Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Penscast. Lucas Wester here with you as usual on a rare Wednesday episode. It's Wednesday, January 17th, and it's really cold outside, and I have nothing else going on, so there's no excuse not to talk some Penguins hockey here for a little bit. And there's a lot to talk about. Last episode was 10 days ago on January 7th. Since then, the Penguins have played in four games. And they got eight, well, six of the eight possible points in those games, going 2-0-2 in that time frame. The first game post-last episode was a Monday victory against the Flyers, a 4-1 victory in Philadelphia. That was a big win, a good divisional win, because that's a team that the, not the Steelers, the Penguins are still, are still chasing. So that's a, it was a huge win there in Philadelphia. And then on Thursday, January 11th, the Penguins flew home to face the Canucks, the NHL-leading Canucks, the best team in hockey right now. And they lost in overtime. It was 4-3 Vancouver, Elias Pettersson with the overtime winner there. And just two days later, the Penguins flew down to Raleigh to face the Carolina Hurricanes. And another overtime loss. It was 3-2 there in Carolina. Just two days later, they come home and face the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken were riding a nine-game winning streak, which was the longest in their franchise's history. And the Penguins put the kibosh on it. More specifically, Tristan Jari puts the kibosh on it with a 3-0 shutout victory for the Penguins. So like I said, six points out of a possible eight in, the, in that four-game stretch there. And now, after that Seattle game, they have four days off, or at least from games, before they travel to Nevada, and they'll face the Vegas Golden Knights on Saturday night. It's a late-night affair here on the East Coast, 10 o'clock puck drop, and then just two days later on Monday, January 22nd, they go a little further south down to Arizona, where they'll play the Coyotes at Arizona State University. That'll be a fun one to watch. Not not very frequented uh, arenas or opponents for the Penguins, so it'll be fun to see them play. Vegas, a lot of history between those two teams, obviously. Uh, they got their, uh, the Vegas got their best player their inaugural year from the Penguins, so there's a lot of Penguin fans that are, are kind of like secondary Golden Knights fans. And also, there's a lot of uh, snowbirds that are down in Arizona, uh, I know a lot of people that go down there. Obviously, Florida is the biggest destination for rich people in Pittsburgh that don't want to stay here for winter. I know there's a lot of uh, Pittsburghers down in Arizona that will probably try to watch that game in Mullet Arena. So let's talk about what's been going on here with the team. Like I said, uh, 2-0-2 in the last four. And um, I'm kind of starting to get concerned a little bit. I mean, it was a good stretch. That's a good point percentage. And they're slowly crawling back into the playoff um, the playoff race, which is good. Um, but I'm starting to kind of get the vibe that they may end up becoming the Calgary Flames of last season. Uh, which is funny because they were kind of the Calgary Flames of the East anyways. But now, more specifically... I'm thinking all of these overtime losses may end up catching up to the team. They have been really poor on three-on-three this season, which if you look at the roster, if you look at the guys on the team, they should be better. Now, a lot of these guys who were great skaters in their prime are getting older, so there's a little bit of that. 
but I still don't think that there's a skating issue necessarily, at least with the main guys that they deploy on the three-on-three. But there is definitely an issue there. At three-on-three this season, in games that ended in three-on-three, the Penguins are one in five. And everyone will remember that that victory in Los Angeles. It was Brian Rust. He got two goals in overtime. The first one got called back. And then just seconds later, he went back out there and scored that one. So that was a huge moment for the team. I think it was a big turning point in that uh, West Coast road trip. They had a great West Coast road trip, actually. But um, I, that's just a, such a marketable moment, I remember. They've been using that goal and that celebration he had and a bunch of marketing material. Huge, huge moment there for Brian Rust and the team. Um, but other than that one overtime goal, they have not had another three-on-three OT goal this season. They've lost five other games at three-on-three this season. But when they're able to get it to a, a shootout, it's only happened three times this year, they are two-and-one. Uh, everyone will remember that one very long one. I believe it was against Montreal. It may have been in Montreal where I think it was Jansen Harkins got that uh, shootout winner when he was like the eighth ninth tenth shooter to go it was one of, i think it was the longest shootout in penguins history but overall in extra frames so either overtime or the shootout penguins are three and six and that's a lot of extra points that's six extra points that could have gone the other way that penguins could have added to and they've just slipped through their fingers and if you look at the standings that's those couple extra points are a big difference maker right now the Penguins are the first team outside of the playoff picture looking in. They are just behind one point behind the Tampa Bay Lightning for the final wild card spot. But the Tampa Bay Lightning do have two more games played than the Penguins. So by point percentage wise, the Penguins actually are in the top wild card spot because the top wild card spot is the Detroit Red Wings. They have 49 points in 43 games. That's 570 in point percentage. The Penguins are at 571 right now. Um, but had they gotten maybe half of those points, they'd be at 51 points right now and would be securely with a little bit of cushion behind them in that top wildcard spot. And they'd be pushing the, for the Carolina Hurricanes in that final spot in the Metro uh, division in the top three. So I'm starting to get the feeling that this may become a big issue come April. When you're in the middle of April and you're fighting for your playoff lives, you're in the final last two games like the Penguins were last year, and you are on. You need to win out and you need help. You look back at the games like that where the Penguins have opportunities to pick up extra points in the standings and they just let that slip through their fingers. There's something to, to the three-on-three three that the Penguins are messing up. Sometimes it's Carlson. Which, I mean, having him as a defenseman on a three-on-three is basically deploying three forwards. Because that guy doesn't play defense very well. So, I mean, and that's kind of what happened on the in, during, in the Vancouver game. Where you have no one back. And Elias Patterson, who is going to be a heart nominee more likely than not this season, is not going to miss on a one on o breakaway against Tristan Jari. I'm sorry, but he's more likely than not. It was a trickler of a goal. It barely made it through Jari. But nonetheless, that goal happened, and that's a point that the Penguins missed out on. And then you go to the Carolina game. It's another one, another point that the Penguins missed out on just because of bad three-on-three play. And it was a it's a situation 
it's a on play on ice situation that the Penguins have been good at since the impl- uh, implementation of three on three. They haven't been this bad in a year. I think it's gone. It's gotten worse over the years for the Penguins, but this year it's really evident. And I'm not sure who is coaching uh, specifically the three on three, but something needs to give there. I think it's something I'm going to watch over the next few weeks. You know, uh, they only have a few more games left before the All Star break. It's a very light schedule for the next uh, little bit here for the Penguins, so there might be not be a ton to talk about uh, moving forward, but. Uh, or at least in the next little bit here. But my concern is I'm going to look for, you know, leading up to the trade deadline even as well, is how they play at three on three. Because their five on five play has been phenomenal all year. It's been unbelievable. The power play has been awful. And the PK has been pretty good. It's the three on three and the power play. For some reason, a team with this much offensive skill, Crosby, who might end up being a Hart nominee along with Pedersen, Malkin, Carlson, Latang, who's having one of his best seasons of his career at age 36, 37, whatever. Those guys, Raquel, Gensel, Rust, those guys, you deploy any combination of them, should be better than most teams' best three players or best th- guys they deploy on three on three. Against Vancouver, I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're playing against the best team in the NHL right now. It's unbelievable the uh, heel turn that the Vancouver Canucks have had over uh, from you know years of mediocrity to just popping off, just being unbelievable this year with not a ton of differences on the roster. You have a full season of Rick Tockett, former Penguin assistant coach, Got a full season of Patrick Olivine and Jim Rutherford at the top of the front office, former Penguins. I mean, JT Miller, almost Penguin last year. Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, those guys, yeah, okay. They're playing at such a high level right now. Their PDO is insane. The save percentage that Demko and DeSmith are giving them, former Penguin Casey DeSmith. And and just how high their shooting percentage is and everything right now. Yeah, I mean, the fact you got a point out of that game, most teams aren't even getting a point against Vancouver. So I don't want to knock the team too much. They did take it to overtime. They played a pretty good game overall. So, okay. But still, that's an extra point that you easily could have gotten. And it slipped through their fingers again. So definitely something to keep an eye on, Penguin fans. Moving into the next couple weeks of play, Keep an eye on three on three and see how this team plays. If they can improve, I'm not saying they can't. I think they have the personnel for it. I think it may be a system thing, which is the exact issue I think it's going on with the top power play unit. The bottom power play unit, it's more of a personnel issue, I think. But keep an eye on that three on three. It's something I'm a little concerned about. Now, I think what happened over I think this happened over the last four games. I don't think it happened before. Um, the last episode was Riley Smith is going to miss a lot uh, a bit of time here he's out longer term with an injury and Matt Nieto had his surgery I believe that was before the last episode but that's two forwards two top 12 forwards for the Penguins that are out Nieto is expected to return by the end of February early March Riley Smith we don't have a date or any really specifics I know Nieto's was a knee uh, surgery I believe 
Uh, Riley Smith, we don't have many uh, specifics on quite yet. Ludwig, Johnny Ludwig is still out. Um, but I want to talk about the forwards here because all the conversation over the past few weeks has been about Jake Gensel, his contract, he's going to move. And by the way, I, I went on tangents about how I think that, um, you know, they need to give all the money to whatever to Gensel. They need to keep him under any circumstances. But what's come out over the past couple of days is that it's actually not about the money. The money seems to not be a factor as much where it's Gensel wants to know the team's direction. And he wants to make sure if he signs long term, they're going to be competitive long term. And that concerns me more than the money does. Because I'm not as certain that they can compete for a long term contract the duration of a long-term contract for him as I am that they can find the money for him. But if Dubis is able to somehow talk him into that, oh, this team can be competitive and you're going to be a big part of why it'll be competitive, then maybe he sticks around. Um, I don't want to get too much into that right now. I want to talk about that a little later. But my biggest thing I want to talk about, like I mentioned, was Smith's out, who has been underperforming, but there's no doubt in my mind, that Smith is a top six forward on this team. At worst, he's a third line winger. And they actually, uh, the team actually put Zohorna on waivers earlier. I think it was yesterday. He cleared today. So he's going to be down probably in Wilkesbury. But with Smith out, with Nieto out, but more so Smith, eh, you kind of feel like the team needs a little more scoring depth. I mean, they needed it beforehand, and now you got to. A winger on Malkin's wing, who is consistently there all season, uh, other than a few off games where you know they'd give another guy a chance on Malkin's wing, um, he's going to be gone for a while. And the team was in a desperate need to add some extra, you know, wing depth, scoring depth before Smith went down. And now Smith is down, and I think the necessity to make a move and add a forward here, if the team expects to be competitive, which. By the way they've played, I think you kind of have to expect them to be competitive uh, or at least expect them to go for it. Kyle Dubas may need to make a move for a depth forward. And I've talked about it before, at the beginning of the season because I thought that that would be an, an issue uh, at some point this year. Now it's reared its head up. I think it's a definitely a thing that they need to consider right now. And you look around the league, what is needed? What, what teams are going to be giving, are going to be selling off forwards? And I've, I've narrowed down a little list. I don't think any of these guys are going to be cheap necessarily, but they are guys that I think could fit well on that middle six, or even maybe just top six forward wing options for the Penguins, especially now without Riley Smith. The first guy I've talked about ad nauseum, and that is Anthony Duclair, winger for the San Jose Sharks. Anthony Duclair was a cap dump for... The Florida Panthers, he was dealt to the Sharks this offseason, and he's been a scoring winger uh, basically everywhere he's gone. He's had some setbacks in his career. He's had some injuries and whatnot, but he's scored 20 goals in the NHL on three separate occasions. One of those seasons was a 30-goal year. That was back in 21-22 with Florida. And on a very, very bad San Jose Sharks team this year, he has eight goals, eight assists, 16 points in 40 games. I think they expected more out of him, uh, which I, I, would under, I would understand why, because he's 
probably getting a good chunk of uh, ice time and top six time and power play time on a bad team. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to score just because you're getting the minutes and doesn't mean you necessarily have the help to get those points. But I think in Pittsburgh, he'd get uh, second line minutes, maybe even a chance on the top line if there's injuries. I think he plays majority left wing, so probably not getting up on you know Crosby's wing as much. That Gensel, that's Gensel's spot. But I could definitely see him on the left side along with Malkin and maybe Raquel on the right or Rust on the right, whatever they're feeling like that day. Um, but I really like Anthony Duclair. And now that he's had kind of less of a successful season, at least statistically, I could see them maybe not asking for as much as I expected them to uh, be able to ask for for him at the beginning of the year. Maybe he's a second, maybe he's worth a third and a fifth, I don't know. But that's a guy whose cap hit right now is $3 million, he's a pending UFA, definitely a guy I could see Dubas going after, and I've talked about him before, like I said, as a possible option, but now that Smith is out, I think it makes even more sense. And I'm going to go to a familiar face for this next one, Jason Zucker. I've talked about him at nauseum as well, because I really, really like him. I really liked his fit last season. He had a a career year, 27 goals, 21 assists, 48 points on Geno's wing. This year in Arizona, he's having a kind of like Duclair, less offensive production. In 32 games, he's had six goals, eight assists, 14 points. He is making 5.3 this year, and I'm sure Arizona could retain that if you, because uh, it's a he's a pending UFA, could definitely retain some of that just for the rest of this year if they need if the Penguins needed it. I think because of his higher cap hit and uh, because of his lack of production, he's another guy that I think isn't going to cost as much as he would have earlier in the year or even at the beginning of the year. Um, not that they were shopping him at the beginning of the year. They brought him in you know, as a UFA over the offseason. But that's a guy who has proven chemistry on Malkin's wing, which that spot is now open. I could see them possibly sniffing around that. Maybe it's too rich for them. Maybe they can't fit that cap hit. Uh, that might be a closer to trade deadline thing as they accumulate a little bit more cap relief. But that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. Jason Zucker, that's a guy who I've kept my eye on all season. I even wrote an article about how I think he could be a possible option. But then Arizona played well. They started pretty well and had a pretty good uh, you know, fall into the beginning of winter. But they've definitely fallen off over the last month or so. It seems like they're going to have a harder time making the playoffs now. So I could see him being an easy trade uh, asset for them uh, come trade deadline time or even maybe even sooner if someone wants to pull the trigger. My next guy, my next two guys are in the nation's capital. No, not the capitals, uh, the senators up in Ottawa. This first guy is a big name who's put up big numbers in his past, but has kind of regressed over the last few years, and he took a long time to sign a deal this offseason. And that's Vlad Tarasenko, who once upon a time was a 40-goal scorer back in 15-16 with the Blues. He has scored 30 or more goals on one, two, three, four, five, six different uh, seasons. He's had some health issues uh, a little bit over the past couple years, uh, or past few years, but he is—he hasn't missed too much this year. He has 28 points in 37 games. That's 10 goals, 18 assists, and that's on a pretty bad Ottawa Senators team. So the fact he's putting up those numbers to me is pretty impressive. 
I believe he plays more right wing. I don't. I haven't seen him very much on the left side, but I think that wouldn't be too much of an issue. He is a left shot, I believe. So maybe you move him onto the left, or maybe you'd move one of Raquel or Rusty to the left, which Mike Sullivan has played with before. He's tried that, so I could see that possibly being an option. Um, Russian, which, I mean, we've tried Russian wingers with Malkin in the past, and it hasn't worked. Looking at you, Sergei Plotnikov. But this guy has proven pedigree at the NHL level. He's definitely fallen off. He's definitely not the player he was back in the mid-2010s when he was scoring 40, 39, 33, 33, uh, 37, five years in a row. So, you know, temper your expectations. He's obviously a huge name back then. He was on the cover of uh, NHL a few years ago. I think it was NHL 17, I believe. But... I still think he can be a useful asset. I think he'd be a great uh, forward for the Penguins, especially in that second-line role where he's going to face more limited um, competition. And he's a, a shot-first guy. You know, he he can snipe, which I think would put make him a great candidate to really improve that bottom, not bottom, the uh, the second power play unit. Because you look at the unit right now that they're deploying, they don't really have a lot of guys who can fire the puck. Uh, according to Daily Faceoff, this is the second power play unit right now. It's Rax, Eller, Carter, Pustinen, Latang. Granted, Pustinen has a good shot, but he's still very young. I prefer a guy there who has proven NHL experience at just whipping in 30 goals a year. You know? Uh, that's kind of how I see it. I think Vlad Tarasenko could be a good ad. He's making $5 million for the rest of this year. If Ottawa wanted to retain half of that, that would make it two point five. I know that that team's probably going to look to sell this uh, you know, this coming trade deadline. And the word is that they're looking to make, you know, shake up some things. And they want some pros, which is the word that Elliot Friedman's thrown around a little bit, some pros. So um, I'm wondering if there may be a swap there. Maybe there's a uh, guy-in, guy-out situation. I'm not sure who the Penguins would want to uh, move out necessarily, but a proven NHL pro. I'm not really certain there's many guys that the Penguins think are, you know, disposable necessarily. Um, maybe like a Vinny Hinnestroza or Redeem Zahorna, but those guys are like fringe guys, so I don't see that. You'd obviously need to add picks and, you know, pieces of value in order to get Vlad Tarasenko, but that's a guy I could see the Penguins looking at. And a supplemental option who would cost, I think, a little less because he's a little less proven, uh, but he also has a less cap hit and has experience playing on the left side, and that's Dominique Kubalik. Dominic Kubalik, excuse me. Uh, he is 28 years old on the final year of his a two-year deal. He had originally signed with Detroit, but he is a senator now. He joined Ottawa on that Alex Dabrinkit trade, making, like I said, only $2.5 million for the rest of the season. He scored 30 goals uh, in his first season with the Blackhawks, and that was a 46-point season in 28 games. He's regressed a little bit, but he still has good scoring pedigree. He's on pace for 20 goals this year. He has 9 goals, 3 assists, 12 points in 39 games. So an underwhelming year, you know, offensively, at least statistically, for Kubelik. But again, that's on a struggling Ottawa Senators team, the dead last team in the Eastern Conference. If you threw him maybe on the left side of Geno, even maybe on the left side of Eller, and then had him on that bottom power play unit, I think that's a guy 
who could put up points for the Penguins. I'm not sure if Dubis is interested in a guy like that, but that's definitely something to look forward to. I think he's one of the more realistic options, uh, at least fit-wise financially, for the Penguins to fill that Riley Smith void. A more unrealistic expectation uh, to have is for the Penguins to acquire Vancouver Canucks disgruntled forward Andre Kuzmenko. Another Russian forward who plays both wings, left and right. He can play either. 27 years old. He signed a two-year, $5.5 million deal with Patrick Alvin, his, uh, his extension. And obviously, there's relationships between Vancouver's front office and Pittsburgh's front office, so there could be something there. But he still has two years, uh, well, this year and next, he left on his deal at $5.5 million. But there's been rumors that they're looking to move him. Last year, he had 39 goals, 35 assists, 74 points in 81 games. This year, in 38 games played, 8 goals, 11 assists, 19 points. Still pretty good offensive you know, uh, numbers. I'm sure he expects more of himself. I think the team expects more of him. But there's been some, you know, uh, issues between the player and the team. He wants a fresh start. He wants to move on. The team is doing fine without him. So I think they would look to move or fine without him playing at such a high level and playing with as many minutes as you'd expect him to. It would be really hard to fit that money in. But maybe if Riley Smith is out the rest of the year, you could throw his $5 million on LTIR. Maybe that opens up enough to make it happen. Uh, but you also have to consider that he has another year left at 5.5. But if he plays at the rate he played at last year, then that's a fine deal. I think he might take more assets as well because he's a younger player and because he had such a great season last year. But definitely something I think the Penguins would be uh, you know, interested in or they should be interested in if they're looking to uh, supplement Riley Smith while he is out. Two more guys I want to talk about before I move on. Uh, the first guy I don't think that the Blackhawks are going to want to move because they're so low on players right now. And this player's actually injured, so that even makes it less likely. He's on IR. Um, and I didn't know that when I was making this, but Tyler Johnson, 33-year-old forward with one year left on a $5 million deal. The Blackhawks are fine with money. I'm sure they'd be fine taking half of that back. But Tyler Johnson has a lot of history with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was dealt uh, two, three years ago at the deadline, I believe. Uh, it may have been in that Brandon Hagel deal. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't exactly remember. But this year, uh, in 35 games played, he has nine goals, four assists, 13 points for the Blackhawks. He is injured right now, and I'm trying to find what the injury is um, on Cap Friendly here. They do have it somewhere. I'm just... I got slow internet, so please uh, forgive me. On January 1st, uh, Tyler Johnson has an undisclosed injury. The expected duration is unknown. Okay, cool. Thank you, uh, Luke Richardson and Blackhawks coaching staff for being real clear with that one. Um, so we, so I'm not going. I'm not even going to, you know, entertain that as an option. Then maybe if he comes back soon, that could be something they look at. But I mean, with no duration, it's kind of hard. I, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I don't follow the Blackhawks on a day-to-day basis. I don't really know how that injury happened or what that injury is. But my last guy is not in Chicago. He is in the Bay Area for the San Jose Sharks. And that is... Where is he? Where did I lose him? I'm not seeing him. Oh, there he is. Alexander Barabanov. He has one year left. 29-year-old Russian forward. Plays either wing, left, or right. He is left-handed. 
and he's in the final year of a $2.5 million cap hit deal. That's something the, not the, I keep wanting to say the Steelers. Uh, the Penguins definitely uh, could fit, especially if it's retained there. He's had some good years um, in, in San Jose before being before he was dealt uh, well, after he was dealt from the Toronto Maple Leafs, who didn't really give him much of a chance. This year, in 25 games played, so he's been injured a little bit. Three goals, five assists, eight points. But in the uh, years prior, he had 47 points in 68 games and 39 points in 70 games. More of a playmaker than a sniper. So not a shot first guy, but I still think he would be a really good addition to a bottom power play unit or even that second, third line. Like I said, with all these guys, I think they all could easily fit in in that role that Riley Smith, uh, you know, the void that Riley Smith left in being injured. Um, Younger guy, so maybe they're able to re-sign him or maybe it's just a pure rental. Most of these guys I think of as mostly pure rentals other than Kuzmenko and maybe Barabanov. But those are names just to keep an eye on. I also would like to get into some possible moves that can happen on the defensive side, but I need to take a quick break first. So we'll be right back after these messages. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Now, the Penguins... Don't play for a while. We talked about that. But the next opponent of the Penguins is the Vegas Golden Knights. And they're playing tomorrow against the Penguins division leader, New York Rangers. So that'll be an interesting matchup for the Penguin fans to watch. Right now, the Rangers are favored. Minus 125. You can get the Golden Knights at plus 105. And the Golden Knights spread, plus 1.5 goals, is a minus 238. That'll be a fun one to watch for sure. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just five bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. Welcome back. And before I go off of the whole trading for a forward thing, I actually was pro that, like I said, before Smith got injured. I thought adding a better scoring option on Malkin's left side would have been better even with Smith because then you can move Smith down to the third line. I think Smith as a third line winger would be fantastic. I think you kind of get the level of depth there, you know, minus the uh, rest of the HPK line. But you, what you kind of had there, and also minus the speed, with that line, you know, back whenever the Penguins were winning championships, if you have a guy like Riley Smith on your third line, 
you're doing pretty well. So that's kind of what my rationale there was. But obviously, money is a huge issue, so you can't just go around and buy everybody. So we kind of you need you need to level out with your uh, cap and see what's best uh, for the team. But now that Smith is out, he may be put on LTIR. That changes everything. So we'll definitely see about that. Uh, I talked about the three on three being bad, uh, you know, recently, but a continuing issue this season, and I've talked about it a little bit today, is the power play, and it's improved a little bit, but still the power play is fifth last in the NHL, and that's still inexcusable for a team with the power uh, of offense that they have. So they're fifth last, 13.67% right now. And there's some teams in the uh, Metro that are below them. I think it's Philadelphia and Washington, both teams that are on either, either in the playoffs or on the brink of the playoffs that have equally bad uh, power plays or worse than the Penguins. Although there are five teams in the NHL, uh, but, 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 all of which are in the East, three of which are in the Metro, that have over double the power play percentage as the Penguins. Tampa Bay, Boston, Atlantic, and then the Rangers, Devils, and Hurricanes. Five teams have over double the power play. That is not ideal. That is, it really goes and puts into perspective of like how good the teams in the East are at that one skill. But the fact that the Penguins are hanging in there in the standings with those teams not as much the Rangers and the Bruins, but the rest of them, it, it tells you how unbelievably good the Penguins have been at 5-on-5. Five five. Their 5-on-5 five five is insane. In expected goals this year, the Penguins are 5th in the NHL. Their penalty kill, too, has been great. It's been 8th in the NHL. It was even better before Nieto uh, is you know got his surgery and was out. He's been out for a while now. Achari missed some games. You know The, the penalty kill took a hit then. But whenever the Penguins were had a full bill of health, they had one of the best penalty kills in the NHL. The save percentage for this team, fourth best in the NHL. That duo of Ned and Jari has been great. Jari got his fifth shutout of the year already uh, against Seattle. That it, It's on so many aspects of the game. The team is performing well above expectation. They've been playing great, which makes me feel hopeful that you know, them playing the, as bad as they did at the beginning of the year and, you know, starting so far out of a playoff spot is the anomaly. And this is more like, you know, how the team should be performing. A team on five on five, you, the, the game is played more at five on five than it is on special teams. So if you have a good performance, a great performance at five on five, you should be winning games. You should be a playoff team. But the power play was so bad and still is very bad, that they're still not in a spot. By point percentage, yeah, sure, fine. But they're technically not in a spot right now. They're still on the brink of being a playoff team. And what annoys me to death, and this this is another telltale sign of how good this team's playing and how they're not getting the results. They are tied in record with the Washington Capitals. They have 21 wins, 15 losses, 6 overtime losses, 48 points. The exact same record those two teams have. The Penguins are plus 16 in goal differential. The Capitals are minus 24. The Penguins have a 40 
goal, a 40 more goal differential than the Capitals, a team that's tied with them in record. That is crazy. The Penguins have scored 28 more goals and have allowed 12 less than the Capitals, and they have the exact same record. And it's not like the Capitals are doing good based off of power play. Their power play stinks like the Penguins. Their best player, Alex Ove- or you know, one of their best players, their best player in franchise history is having a, a very underwhelming year. So some teams are getting a lot of luck and other teams like the Penguins who are performing well, statistically they're playing very, very good. But the results, the wins, are not in their favor. If you count overtime losses as losses, which I know you get the loser point in the NHL. I don't love that rule, but whatever. If you count just losses as losses, straight up, the Penguins are 500. They're 21 and 21. Six of those 21 losses are in overtime. But man, they have had a ton of bad luck this year, especially on that power play. Shooting percentage, which... I think is just as bad as the uh, power play. The team is sixth worst in the NHL. They're shooting at 9%. Sixth worst in the NHL. Some teams have all the luck. Some teams don't. I think the Penguins are closer to the team they've been playing as as of late than they are to the team they started the year as. Uh, the power play, uh, if they can inch it to 15-16%, by the end of the year, 16% by April. I'll have felt better about the team, and I would assume they're well within a playoff spot. But if they stay in that mediocrity, in that 13%, if the shooting percentage stays at 9, I I mean, at some point, I don't know, I don't know if you can call an 82-game season bad luck. You can call, you know, a few game stretches bad luck. But at some point, there needs to be changes. There needs to be either system changes. There needs to be roster changes. I already talked about what I think they should do up up, for, up forward without uh, Riley Smith there, or even with Riley Smith there, they should be making changes. Um, but yeah, that something needs to give there. I don't have the answer, but the fact that they're playing better, they're getting more wins as of late, and that power play still hasn't changed. It has still hasn't gotten better enough. They're still, they still have half the power play that three teams in their division have, and five teams in their conference have. That is inexcusable. Most playoff teams would, most teams in that situation wouldn't even be sniffing the playoffs. The fact that they're that good is kind of crazy. But yeah, this team, all the numbers, all the baseline numbers point that this team should be well within a spot. But because of that one thing that they're not doing right, the power play, they are barely in the conversation. Well, they're in the conversation, but they're barely hanging on to a spot. And in the wild card right now, there are about six teams, I'd say, fighting for two spots. The top wild card spot is 49 points. And sixth place amongst the wild card teams has 47. Detroit has 49, Tampa has 49, Pittsburgh is 48, Washington is 48, the Islanders have 48, the Devils have 47. 
There's a disparity there in games played. The Devils have played 41. Uh, Tampa and the Islanders have played 44. The other teams have played 43 or 42. So is, this is going to be a fight, you know? And based on the statistics of, oh, you know, only so many teams make it that were out of it by Thanksgiving or by November 1st or by January 1st, all of those point to bad news for the Penguins because they weren't in the playoffs, uh, in a playoff spot at any of those points. This is the closest they've been to the playoff, to a playoff spot all year. So they cannot look back now. They need to continue to improve and they can't just be complacent with, oh, we got six out of eight there. We can afford a loss. You can't, you still can't afford a loss. They've been playing so well over the past month, couple of weeks, and they're still not in a playoff spot. Climbing up the standings this far into the season is so difficult because of the loser point. Any game that goes to overtime goes from a two-point game to a three-point game. And if it's an interconference game, if it's an Eastern team playing an Eastern team, a Metro team playing a Metro team, or it, since they're a wildcard team, any team uh, in the East playing against one another, it, it makes it that much harder. So the Penguins cannot afford to just be complacent here. They need to still actively improve. And I talked about what they, what needs to be done, I think, up at, up at forward. I think you know something like that could improve that power play. But there's a concerning trend for the Penguins. I know I talked about the overtime being an issue, but a bigger, not a, maybe not a bigger issue, but another issue I think that could rear its ugly head. I don't want it to, but something I think the team needs to be a little cognizant of is combined over the last uh, over the last half well the first half of the season here Eric Carlson and Latang are playing a combined f- almost 50 minutes a night so it's 25 minutes a piece Latang's playing a little bit more but Carlson is playing basically just as much there as well so that means the bottom pair right-handed guy rather whether it be Chad uh, Chad Ruedel you know Johnny Ludwig, Ryan Shea, whatever. Even if POJ swaps to the to the right, I know uh, Johnny Ludwig's a uh, lefty too. But whoever's playing in that bottom right spot is only getting ten minutes a night. So two very injury prone elite defensemen are playing five sixths of the game, and that concerns me because those guys, like I said are injury prone those guys each i'd love to know the combined um, man games lost between those two over the last decade because it probably ranks between the two of them they're probably both top five amongst uh not even defensemen players in the nhl because those guys have both suffered some severe injuries eric carlson's achilles Latang had two strokes you know, and that's just to name a couple of them. There's way more injuries that those guys have faced. I think for this team to continue succeeding, to be on the upward trend, I think they need to get a guy in that bottom pair on the right side that they can reliably play more than 10 minutes a night because I think Mike Sullivan loves having those two guys. They can just run out there for all that time. But in reality, if you keep playing them that much time over an 82-game season into the playoffs inevitably the odds are one of them is going to get hurt. I think for their health and for the team's, you know, security, you need to get a guy that you can play more than 10 minutes a night. You need a guy you can rely on more than Chad Ruedel, 
more than those other guys, Shea, Ludwig. Shea and Ludwig have impressed me this year, but they're still, in my eyes, not top six NHL defensemen on 99% of teams. Chad, I don't think, is a top six guy on most teams. I think he's a very good seventh defenseman. So I did a little looking around, and I'm going to do kind of what I did with the forwards, where I'm going to list some names I think could be potential trade options. And the first guy is a Chicago Blackhawk. So it makes me think maybe they... Actually, did he get moved? He may have gotten moved. Oh, no, no, he's just on the injured reserve. Disregard. Which So that makes it uh, another possible uh, issue here. And that was Nikita Zaitsev. Zaitsev, the right-handed 32-year-old Russian defenseman who signed out of the KHL with the Maple Leafs to a very long-term deal uh, many years ago. He bounced around. He was with Ottawa for a little bit, and now he is with Chicago. What is his injury? Let's take a peek here. He's in the final year of a $4.5 million cap hit contract. Let's take a look at what his injury is. On the 17th, so today, (laughs) nice, um, he has an injury to his knee. His expected duration is unknown. Okay, so maybe not, but maybe. I don't know. Um, He kind of, he's had some success in his career. His first year, he had 36 points in 82 games. Uh, He got some power play minutes on a very young and -and up-and-coming Toronto Maple Leafs team. But he became kind of a casualty of his own contract, where he was making so much money and had such a long contract that it kind of made him more of a distraction, more of an issue to his team than he was an asset. But in the final year of his deal, especially if Chicago retains half, that makes a $2.25 million contract. I think he'd be a fine guy to have on the bottom pair on the right side. He's played a lot. He's played 470 games at the NHL level. And I think he's been expected. He's had more expected of him on other teams. I think as a bottom pair guy, I think you could reliably put him out there for 12, 13 minutes a night, maybe. I I'm, I could be way off, and I'm re- I don't know a ton about his game, so I'm not going to pretend like I do. Um, but I think that might be a guy that the Penguins could reliably look at. Uh, obviously, there's a connection with Dubis. Uh, Dubis was in the front office when Zaitsev was a Maple Leaf. But my next guy is not a Chicago Blackhawk. He's an Anaheim Duck, and he goes by the name of Ilya Labushkin, another uh, right-handed Russian defenseman. Uh, Labushkin's 29. He's bounced around quite a bit. He played with the Coyotes, spent some time with Toronto and Buffalo. Now he resides in Southern California. He is a defensive first defenseman, which I think is probably, I think he's the best fit uh, out of the three I'm going to name here. Labushkin, uh, bigger guy, 6'2", 201, right-handed, not afraid to throw body from my understanding. Um, Like I said, defensive first. So I think if you had him on a pair with uh, Graves or POJ. I think you could rely on him to be more of a stay-at-home guy. He's not going to put up points. He has five career NHL goals, which is insane. Uh, 43 points across 323 games played. I think he would be a great fit. Defensive first, right-handed D-man. Dubas already acquired him before as GM, so I think there's there's obviously that connection there. Um, would be interested to see if that's an option they uh, that the Penguins and Dubas may consider. My last guy is not right-handed, 
but that didn't stop me before. He's a St. Louis Blue, and he is a longtime veteran, played a lot of games at the NHL level, and he's Marco Scandella. A, like I said, left-handed, 33-year-old defenseman, started with Minnesota. He's now a St. Louis Blue. He had stops in Buffalo and Montreal, and he has played 757 games at the NHL level, which is a great career for that guy. A not very offensively... You know, uh, not a big offensive producer. He The most he's ever scored in a season was 23 points, and uh, he had 11 goals. That was one season with Minnesota back in 14-15. But he's more of a defensive uh, bottom-pairing guy. In his career, he's kind of always rode the line between a second-pair, third-pair guy. Uh, so the fact he's had such a nice long career is actually very impressive. He's played 56 playoff games, most of them with Minnesota, but he's played some with uh, St. Louis over the past couple years. And I just think he'd be a good fit uh, with that defensive first mentality on the bottom pair. Um, maybe you could throw him on the right side, or maybe I know they've tried POJ on the right side before. Maybe that's the move. You throw him on the right side, leave Scandella on the left. He's in the final year of a $3.275 million contract. So that could easily fit, I think, come trade deadline time, especially if St. Louis can retain a little bit. I don't know if I mentioned Labushkin's contract uh, but he's in the final year of a $2.75 million deal. So that's something that can easily fit, in my opinion, too. So those are the three guys I looked at on defense that could kind of take the load off a little bit at 5-on-5 five five in particular uh, of those top two uh, best defensemen on the Penguins, EK and Tanger. Um, those guys, especially Labushkin, in my opinion, I think that would be the best. If, if they got Labushkin, I'd be very uh, happy and satisfied because I think he'd be good on the PK. He'd be good on the bottom pair, good in defensive zone starts. Uh, guy who can block shots, bigger body, throw body. Uh, that would be a perfect fit, in my opinion. So those are, like I said, those are three guys I would look at if I was Kyle Dubas. And I, I, even if they don't get one of those guys, I still think they should look to add a defenseman because... When they started the year, I didn't think they had six full-time NHL defensemen. I thought they had a lot of guys in the gray area that could ride the line between being a seventh NHL defenseman or being a top-pairing AHL guy. Uh, Will Butcher being one of them, who's down in Wilkes-Barre. But I think Ryan Shea, Johnny Ludwig, Chad Ruedel, Will Butcher, uh, all those guys are kind of borderline guys. You know, They're not really solid, concrete you know, you feel comfortable in most situations with them, top six, bottom pairing, whatever defenseman. Um, so yeah, I still think that there should be a move there just to add another little security blanket as if one of those guys does go down because the Penguins have been really lucky in that. I want to knock on wood here. I have a wooden desk so I can do that. Um, but those guys have been very lucky uh, this season, all things considered. And if one of them were to go down, the team defensively looks a lot worse because all of a sudden you have one of POJ, Ryan Shea, uh, Johnny Ludwig if he returns, uh, one of those guys in the top four. And that, not great. Not great at all. Um, so there definitely needs to be a little more security on the blue line for the Penguins, in my humble opinion. Now we are at the 42-game mark. And there's something I wanted to do. I wanted to do a league-wide like award prediction, but maybe I'll save that for All-Star uh, Week. But uh, Which, by the way, this is a hot take. I know a lot of people did not like the All-Star Game jerseys. I'm fine with them. I think they're kind of cool. But um, what do I know? They're, they were designed by uh, Justin Bieber's company. 
Uh, so they do look a little, you know, they, they look the part. I, I don't know the name of his brand. I forget what it is. Um, but they, if you've seen the rest of his merchandise, it, it looks like something that would be in his uh, clothing line. Uh, I think it looks fun. I, I like I like the colors of it. I think it looks very uh, like youthful and fun. I don't see an issue with it. People who have an issue with all-star game jerseys really, really need to find something better to do with their time because, my God. Um, so I wanted to do like predictions for the rest of the year, award predictions up until this point and whatnot. Um, I even wanted to go through and grade some of the um, moves that, you know, up, up until this point that Dubis has done, uh, especially in the offseason, because we're going to start seeing more moves, in my opinion, in February and early March as the trade deadline approaches. But I'll save that for next week's episode. But right now, I do actually want to go over um, Penguins Awards. We're at the 53-minute mark here in this podcast, so I don't want to spend too much time. But I want to go over basically who... You know, league awards, you know, MVP, the heart, uh, Norris, best defenseman, Vesna goalie of the year, basically go through who I think would be the Penguins version of those award winners and also the nominees. Um, just a little interesting, fun exercise I did. And to start, let's go with the MVP, the Hart Memorial Trophy, a guy who I think has a legitimate chance to be nominated for the actual trophy. Uh and who's definitely the Penguins MVP this year, bar none, it's Sidney Crosby, who's playing some of the best hockey of his career right now. He's on pace for 50 goals, which will be the first time he's hit that mark, I think, since his sophomore season or his third year. Um, he's had many seasons where he was on pace for it. The year he got his concussion at the Winter Classic, he was on pace to break basically every career-high record before um, he was taken out by the Washington Capitals. But... Sidney Crosby is this team's MVP, no doubt about it. Without Sidney Crosby on this team this year, the team is not uh, even close to a playoff spot. He is far and away this team's leader on the ice, off the ice. He's played phenomenally. He may not end up like top 10, top 15 in points on the year, but right now I think he's fifth in the league in goals, and he is dragging this team to the playoffs. Single-handedly, he's at his contribution uh, up and down the ice, you know, best 200 foot player in the league. Now that, uh, Patrice Bergeron's retired, in my opinion, I think he definitely is, uh, the Penguins heart trophy winner. And my, I had two other nominees there and that would be Jake Gensel and Chris Tang. Gensel's put up some unbelievable numbers this year, obviously on Sid's wing. I think Sid is definitely more of the play driver on that line, but Gensel has had a phenomenal year, a great contract year for him as he's looking to cash in at the end of this year, but he's consistently been phenomenal for this team. And I think he would be a good runner up for that trophy for team MVP. And third, I have Chris Tang. big surprise. He's having, I think one of his best seasons of his career, like I said earlier, and he is not going to get any Norris League you know, recognition. He's not going to be a nominee or anything like that. He's not going to put up the numbers that Quinn Hughes, Kel McCarr, Noah Dobson, Evan uh, Bouchard have put up. But I think he's had an unbelievable year. He's, he's really excelled, in my opinion, you know, kind of sharing the duties with uh, EK65. He hasn't really needed to um play 
I mean, he still takes a lot of the heavy minutes, but his average ice time has gone down individually a little bit. The whole combined ice time thing was more just across the board for both of them. They're playing each about 24.50 a night, so that's 50 minutes through a game. Um, but individually, Chris Letang's load has been taken off a little bit. I think the pressure's off a little bit, uh, having EK there. And I think he's really taken it on the run, and he's been unbelievable this year. And that's why I gave him the team's Norris and uh, Norris trophy. Like I said, best defenseman on the team, bar none. Uh, both ends of the ice, uh, both ends of the ice. Excuse me. He's looked very, very good. Offensive zone, defensive zone. I think he's looked the best defensively. He's looked um, in the past few years. He's the team's best defenseman, in my opinion. Runner-up, I have Eric Carlson, which is, you know kind of makes sense he's played a lot of huge minutes for this team has been great offensively i expected more from him on the power play hasn't shown up defensively you know what you're getting he's not great defensively not even a little bit he makes a lot of dumb mistakes especially on the power play that lead to shorthanded chances and it, you can just watch basically any penguin game and see that um but he's had a pretty good year all around, eats, a lot, eats up a lot of minutes, and like I said, his presence has made Crystal Tang's life a lot easier. So I have him as the second best defenseman on this team the, uh, throughout the first half of the year. And then third, easy choice, Marcus Patterson, who for the second year in a row I think is probably the most underrated defenseman, or at least defensive defenseman in the NHL. He's put up better offensive numbers this year, a lot of assists actually, but defensively in his own zone, I think there's no one better than Marcus Pedersen on this team. He you know, blocks shots. He's really sound defensively, can really keep guys to the outside, and he's their top penalty-killing defenseman. That trade all those years ago, uh, uh, Daniel Sprong for Marcus Pedersen with the Anaheim Ducks, at the time I did not like it. I thought Daniel Sprong was like the next great goal scorer for the Penguins. But Marcus Pedersen's proven to be far and away the better player between the two. And in my opinion, is easily the third best defenseman on this team. You can maybe even make an argument that his impact this year has been better than uh, Eric Carlson's, possibly. Uh, but I think, yeah, Pedersen's had a great year. And again, like I said, one of the most underrated defensemen in the league, bar none. The Vesna, I mean, honestly, this one took longer than I expected to consider but Tristan Jari is the starter for this team uh, Alex Nadolkovich has probably been the uh, best surprise he's put up really good numbers but Tristan Jari has five shutouts he leads the NHL tied with Connor Ingram he takes most of the harder matchups as of late they've started you know splitting it a little more evenly where uh, Ned has you know gotten doubles you know back-to-back -back starts not in back-to-back -back, like you know days but uh, in back-to-back -back games, you know, they've been sort of trending more to wanting to have um, Ned compete with Jari. But Jari is the team's best goalie. He's the starter if the playoffs started right now. He's had a great season, uh, a really good season following up a uh, big contract extension. So really reassuring a lot of fans. I know myself, I did not think it was a good deal. I think they should have looked for a different goalie outside of the organization. But he's proven a lot of people, including myself, wrong. Tristan Jari is this team's best goalie so far in the first half of this year. In the Selkie conversation, the best defensive forward on this team this year, it's been Lars Eller. He's been a very reliable penalty killer for this team. 
He's played you know most of the penalty kill minutes. He's been the third line center every single game, and he's been also. This, I know this doesn't go into the decision making for the trophy, but he's been a great leader on this team. I really like that the addition. I like that he's here next year as well, and he's been a great, great forward center. Uh, you know, face-off guy in his own end. I think he's been phenomenal. Sid is my runner-up there. Like I said, he's played a great 200-foot game over the past many years, but this year I think he's been very good in that as well. And face-offs again, which is another thing that kind of goes into the conversation for defensive forwards. He's been great. He's been phenomenal. Collectively, the Penguins are the best face-off team in the NHL, and Sid and Eller are a big part of that. And so is the guy who I gave third place in the Selkie to, Nolachari. He's missed some time, but when he has been playing, he is unbelievable as a penalty killer. He's a great defensive forward, a great, gritty fourth-line center. I love the addition of Nolachari. He's been one of the better ads. I'm going to talk about this on next episode, but one of the best signings that Dubas made in the offseason, in my opinion, was Nolachari, and the Penguins have him for two more years after this year. Great signing. He's been a great defensive forward for the team. Now, I can't really give away a Calder trophy because the team doesn't really have eh, rookies necessarily. I mean, Johnny Ludwig's, you know, rookie ish. Uh, same with Ryan Shea. They're both older guys. So I just wanted to go with the most impressive young player this year. And I'm going to give it to Drew O'Connor. That's a guy who I've called upon over the last year or two who really seems like he has the skill set. To be, to be a bigger producer offensively. And I think he's kind of found his role this year, kind of more of as, an, as a net front guy, a guy who can get in front uh, and you know jam away and really become a disruption up front and you know create space for others. He's really come into his own, especially over the last month or so. And it seems like the Penguins finally know how to properly use him. So amongst young players on this team, I know he's not a rookie, but amongst young guys... Uh, who probably have less than 150 games in the NHL, 100 games, whatever. DOC has been, in my opinion, the most impressive. So I want to give him this team's Calder. But like I said, I know that's not the real Calder uh, definition. And um, like I said, I'm going to go through all of the offseason moves that uh, Dubas made this this past offseason in his first offseason as Penguins president and GM. But I want to give an award for best offseason ad, and it's Alex Ndalkovich. A guy who had some really, really bad years in Detroit behind a really bad Detroit defense. In my opinion, uh, in those years, Detroit had the worst defense in the NHL, uh, possibly other than San Jose. But he saw something in Alex Nadalkovich, who is a former Calder Trophy nominee, and he took a bet on him. He gave him a one-year deal, and he was like, you know, you're going to be the backup. Whenever Ned signed, they still had DeSmith under contract. So I thought maybe Ned would be like a third option. But they traded DeSmith in the Eric Carlson deal and basically said, okay, you're going to be the backup now. And he's overperformed. He has been unbelievable, exceeding expectations, in my opinion. Um, He has just been great he's even challenged Jari like I said I think at times for the starting job and that's something I don't think any Penguin fan expected of uh, Alex Ndalkovich we hoped for a competent backup who could either reflect or maybe improve slightly upon Casey Dismiss numbers but he's exceeded the expectations and 
honestly, if something were to happen to Jari, um, knock on wood, that nothing does. If there were an injury to Jari, I think the team and the fan base trusts that Alex Nadolkovich could play playoff games for this team. You know, you look back to the year they played the Rangers in the first round and they had to play Louis Domingue. That was not ideal. Even the third string goalie this year on the Penguins, uh, Marcus, uh, Magnus, sorry, Magnus Helberg, I think the team can re- could reliably play in you know April, May hockey if they had to. The, the depth on this team at every position, I think, has not been talked about enough. Other than defense, I think NHL defenseman has been an issue. But up front and in goal, the depth has definitely been uh, added to in years past. And there's guys down in Wilkes-Barre or down on the uh, perimeter of the NHL team that you could reliably put in uh, on any day and you know feel a little better about it than in years past. In years past, there were guys who had no right being in the NHL playing NHL minutes. Kind of what I see right now on the defense, like I said, with certain guys. Um, but I think that they can improve on that. I think Kyle Dubas is going to look to improve on that. So that's all for this episode. I have a lot more I wanted to talk about, but I'm already an hour in, and I'm going to need some content for All-Star Week. So I'll leave that there. Thank you for listening to this episode. We are an hour and five minutes in, so if you made it this far, I appreciate it. Um Please give me, give us, uh, me, us, whatever, five stars uh, and a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Lucas Wester. And yeah, I'm going to try to be back next week uh, with some more Penguins content. And if not Penguins content, just general NHL stuff because we're at the midpoint of the season. And I kind of want to see uh, some, you know, some season predictions now, you know, and see how those uh, predictions I made at the beginning of the year compare to where we're at right now. So that is all. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.